Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Chad Norman, Manager of Internet Marketing at BlackBot, and thanks for checking out this inaugural edition of our podcast. There's a lot going on here at BlackBot, and this cast will give us another platform to share stories about our products, services, customers, and the nonprofit industry. We'll be bringing on guests from around the company to talk about what's happening in their worlds. We'll talk to customers about their missions, speak to industry experts, and discuss new technologies that are changing the nonprofit world. And speaking of new technologies, let's get started with something along those lines. I had a chance to sit down with Paul Gibson and talk about BlackBot's next generation Infinity platform. Let's hear what he had to say. Joining me now is Paul Gibson, Director of Core Technologies here at BlackBot. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Can you tell our listeners a little about what you and your team do here at BlackBot? Sure. My team is the Core Technology team, which is a very small group, uh, some of the most senior uh, developers here, and they're responsible for... Um, setting sort of the, the architectural direction, making the platform choices. And then whenever we start a new platform initiative or a new product initiative, oftentimes my team will be the one who does more of the research area before it goes to a product group to fully develop. Very cool. So you'd say you're the programming commandos, the elite? <laughs> Sometimes we call ourselves the militant wing of uh, product development. <laughs> well, good. Well, this is a good place to start for our sort of our tech talk here at the podcast. The buzz around here is definitely still around Infinity. It's still right. very strong, and I thought our listeners might want to hear more about it. So let's start at the beginning. What is Infinity? Well, Infinity is the, a code name for a, sort of a platform technology or some, some engineering artifacts that are being developed to help us develop future applications. When you bring a product to market, there's a whole machine behind that. It's almost like a factory. It's not a physical factory, but the way we uh, do our build process, the tools we use, um, the architectural things that go into to the actual product, there's a lot of low-level stuff that you'd like to have some consistency across. And so the Infinity pr- platform is really the next generation of that concept for our future applications. When will we start seeing products released on the platform? Um, well, actually this year, early this year, um, there's a couple products that are that are very soon to be released. They have code names internally. So one is a product aimed for uh, direct mail marketing. So customers who are looking to do sort of mass mailings and manage segmentations, direct mail marketing, things like that. That's code named Bullseye. And then and that product, by the way, works alongside Razor's Edge. And then we also have a product that was code named Galileo, which is an enterprise fundraising system Similar in veins to, to the Razor's Edge, it solves those same problems, but really is designed for very large organizations that might be distributed, things like that. Yeah, so what does that mean to a, to a nonprofit, specifically to a large nonprofit? What does that mean as far as how things are going to change day to day and how they organize their fundraising efforts? Right. You know, the whole reason we're doing this is we see that there's, there's some trends in technology and there's um, capabilities that we think that customers could benefit from software solutions. And so part of doing this platform is so that we can more rapidly develop solutions for them. As I said, it, it's tough to bring a product to market, right? So if you look at all the things nonprofits are doing, there's probably lots of things they do at their business that could be helped with software solutions. But for us to go in and always, you know, build something new, take, for example, uh, some customers have a component of case management. Maybe they're, they're serving certain individuals. So those people are really, they're not constituents that donate to them, but they're their constituents. Um, they might take advantage of some of their services. So they probably could benefit from having some software to help manage all that. Well, in the past, you know, bringing a new product online takes a lot of time and a lot of work. So what the Infinity platform lets us do is sort of rapidly develop new features or new products and get them out there very quickly sounds like they're going to be able to do a lot of things that they haven't been able to do in the past and uh, really tailor the software to their organization. Yeah, definitely. I mean, customization is one of our major feature themes. We, we started off on the platform side saying, look, 
here's some of the themes that we want to make sure that our, our, our next generation products always adhere to. So, of course, the web. We don't want to have to install anything. Uh, scalability is very important, being able to serve the largest customers, millions of records. Security is obviously hugely important these days. And then one of the major features was, we, we say customization, but it's probably wrong to call it customization. It's more like making sure that we can do rapid feature development. Sometimes that might be the actual customer doing it for themselves, but it might just be that BlackBaud's uh, either services or our product groups can rapidly develop features. We talked a little bit about customization and a little about security. How will the Infinity platform change the lives of nonprofit IT directors? I mean, uh, is this right. sort of what they've been looking for? Well, I think so. I mean, actually, a, a lot of the major changes in the platform were built specifically based on feedback from the IT people. So, you know, one of the things we heard is people want a more open platform, open standards. So we're built on top of web services. Every feature in the application is available through a standard web service. And, of course, that's, that's a web standard, SOAP or XML, you know, you, no proprietary technology there. We're built on top of SQL Server, which is an open platform. And for the first time, this may vary by product line, but at least at the platform level, we expect that some products will allow you to have direct read-write access to the database. It means that you can use the standard tools, the commodity tools, the tools that come with your SQL Server product like SSIS or DTS, and you won't have to go through a proprietary API layer to get at your data. This sounds like this is for an enterprise-level customer. Now, how does Infinity affect the next major release of the Razor's Edge? Yeah, that's a good question. Definitely the, the platform shift that we made was specifically because we knew we were going into some spaces like the enterprise space where some of these things were more important. So technology is more important, scalability is more important. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that we can't sort of hide those fancy features behind the scenes and have something that's very approachable by someone who maybe doesn't have an IT staff. In fact, we, we made sure that we built it to be very hosting-friendly. So it may be that an organization that doesn't even have an IT department just wants to be hosted takes advantage of that. Everything's run at BlackBaud in our data center. You don't even have to have any you know, server computers on site, and you still can take advantage of this. And in that case, it'll be our, our hosting enterprise people who are thanking us for, you know, hey, I'm glad you built it this way. I'm glad you made it scalable and all that. But the end users may not even know about that. Right. Sounds like you really, uh, really got your work cut out for you, and you're delivering a really cool product. And I know you're a busy guy, Paul, so uh, thanks for taking the time to stop by the podcast today. Great, anytime. Let's shift gears now and take a look at a great fundraising story from Jim Bush. This topic came straight from our blog, but hearing Jim speak about it really drives the point home. Let's have a listen. Joining me now is Jim Bush, the enterprise business architect at BlackBot and featured contributor at BlackBot.com. Welcome to the podcast, Jim. Thanks, Chad. Great to be here. All right. Um, Jim, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do here at BlackBot? Absolutely. My job is, as Enterprise Business Architect, is to help our enterprise prospects understand more about the solutions that we offer, help craft the right total solution for a prospect. And, and also, I, I get the great job of going out and, and speaking at lots of industry conferences about the industry, about fundraising and about technology and that sort of thing. Right. I mean, you're certainly one of our most famous employees around here. Uh, <laughs> everyone seems to love Jim. And, uh, and that's how you actually ended up out on our blog and contributing out there. That's and, right. Um, so I sort of uh, you know, brought you out here because you've been writing on blogbot.com, and I wanted to have you on the, the cast here today to talk a little bit about a specific topic. Sure. Um, your post entitled, uh, Breaking Up is Hard to Do, No, Not Really, um, <laughs> takes a look at an experiment you conducted around donor acknowledgments. This post has prompted a lot of discussion on the blog. It has. Yeah. And can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you did? And- sure. Well, first of all, it's a non-technical uh, experiment <laughs> sure. for sure. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to see, uh, sort of validate an opinion that I had about donor acknowledgments and, and what I thought the industry was doing these days around the acknowledgement process. And so I worked with a uh, number of 
of clients throughout the year last year. And over the course of the last quarter of the year, I took 10 clients. Uh, they didn't know that I was doing this. And I made $25 gifts to each uh, each of these clients. So again, 10 gifts, $25 each. Seven were made online through their own website. Two were made by mail uh, from a direct response piece that I, that I received from the organization. And one was a check that I handed someone on my second visit at the organization. And, and partly, you know, I, I certainly feel uh, compelled and have an affinity towards the missions. That's partly why I did it. But I also wanted to see how quickly I might get a response. That was what the experiment was originally about, was how quickly I would get acknowledged. What I didn't expect to happen was I didn't expect to get only two acknowledgments out of ten. That was pretty pretty unreal for me. And so I made some calls to the folks, first of all, to the two organizations that did thank me. And uh, I, they were kind of surprised to get a phone call from, from a donor uh, <laughs> to say thanks for thanking them. Right. And, and their comments were uh, both that, um, you know, that's not something they even think about. It. It's just something that should happen. Well, uh, I called a number of other organizations, and uh, so I gave them a second chance to give me a donor acknowledgement. Most of them said, all but one said, wow, I'm surprised. I thought we did that. Let me check on it. To this day, still no donor acknowledgement from any of those. But there was one comment in particular from one of the organizations that uh, sort of floored me, and that comment was our policy. I love the word policy. Our policy is that we don't acknowledge any gifts under the $250 level. And, of course, my response to her was, um, well, great, that won't be a problem in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that in your blog post. Why would an organization have a policy to not give these? I mean, does that provide any kind of strategic advantage? I don't think so. And and her comment was, and again, I'm not going to say who these organizations are. I want them to stay clients. Right. (laughs) So um, um, her comment was that um, truly philanthropic gifts, um, you do it because you want to give to the mission, not because you expect to thank you. And I, and I, I certainly disagree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Interesting. Now, there, there were some counterpoints given by our readers. Kane Farmer, for instance, wrote that some organizations say it costs too much money to send out thank yous to every donor and that the same money could be used to support their primary mission instead. I think he was talking about hiring someone to do the thank yous, the postage, the paper. I mean, does this math make sense to you? I mean, is it that expensive? There's a cost. There's no doubt there's a cost associated with it. But two things come to mind. One, there is also a cost of not doing it. And that cost is you lose donors. The organization down the block is going to thank me. That's probably where I'm going to go back to. If you can't take the time to tell me you got my gift, I know my check cleared, so I got that. I know that part of it. But if you can't take the time to tell me that you got my gift and to say thank you, I don't know that I really believe in, in what you're doing and how you might be using my money. Right. Uh, so when someone does take the time to thank me, then certainly it gives me a peace of mind to know that, hey, by the way, it does help. And but you did get it. Fantastic. Good to know it got where it was supposed to be. And secondly, in, in today's age where emails are easily sent out and can be even set up for auto response, there really should be no, no reason that someone doesn't get a thank you today of some kind. A phone call, and a $25 gift, I wouldn't expect a personal phone call. Sure. I would expect a really long letter, but, but a certainly they can spend the $0.39 cents to mail out uh, a letter to me and say thanks. Right. Well, you know, cost aside, uh, we are living in a world that's becoming more eco-aware every day. And sure. what is sort of the future of paper-based thank you letters? I mean, can a personalized email be as effective as receiving a letter in the mail? I, I, I certainly 
think it depends on the generation uh, and the type of donor. There are lots of donors out there who still want to give by mail. And so I, that's not going to go away. Eventually, I think we'll see that go away. But we are definitely moving towards a paperless system uh, where an, an email definitely is, is an appropriate way to say thank you to someone. And if someone like me, when I get an email like that, then I know that it's probably generated through an auto response to a gift, right? There's a function set up. But the fact is, at least I know that it got acknowledged. Right. Yep. Well, it's been you know fantastic information and uh, it's a really great experiment you conducted. I encourage all of our listeners to go out to uh, blogbaud.com and uh, check out Jim's post. Uh, Absolutely, it did and, generate a lot of discussion. Yes, so. <laughs> and I'd like to I'd like to have some other topics like that. So if anyone out there has a topic that they know um, that they'd like to hear about, or they have their own opinions about, just simply go to the site and let me know. I'm always looking for ideas about postings. Right, I think people love reading it too. You yeah, certainly have a great perspective. Um, and since we have a captive audience here today, do you have any exciting speaking engagements you'd like to plug? Absolutely, uh, I'll be speaking at the Christian Management Association conference uh, in Palm Springs, California. Not a bad not a bad gig uh, in March, as well as the YMCA's national. National uh, Fundraising Conference and also the AFP International Fundraising Conference uh, at the end of March in Dallas. So, got a lot of great um, topics coming up uh, centered around accountability, both on the account uh, on the finance and, and development side, as well as how to turn members into donors and topics like that. So, it's going to be a fun fun se- uh, season. Right. Great. Well, I certainly think a lot of people will be out there to check you out, and uh, really appreciate you coming by and being on the podcast today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, all right, Jim Bush, everyone. Take care, folks. At BlackBot, we are fortunate enough to work with more than 16,000 nonprofit organizations from all over the world and to be continually inspired by their missions. The Getting to Know You segment will focus on our customers, the issues they are facing, and the successes they are achieving. It will share the news of our extended family while offering practical advice that you can take back to your organization. Let's dive right in and get started. Today I'm joined by Melanie Malonis from Public Relations here at BlackBot, who recently had an opportunity to speak with Mary Tucker from the YMCA of Greater Charlotte. Thanks for joining the podcast, Melanie. Thanks, Chad. Before we get to the call, can you tell our listeners a little bit about the YMCA of Greater Charlotte? The YMCA of Greater Charlotte is a 130-year-old nonprofit association that serves one of every six individuals in its service area. Comprised of 16 branches and many more program sites, the association serves more than 160,000 members, and thousands more participate in its programs each year. The YMCA of Greater Charlotte is this year's recipient of the 2007 Excellence in Fundraising Eagle Award for its capital campaign, Promises for the Future. The Eagle Award is presented annually to YMCA associations who are integrating philanthropy into all aspects of their work, who have demonstrated outstanding achievement in financial development, and who have positioned their YMCA as one of the most important charitable causes in its community. That sounds great, Melanie. Let's hear the call. Today I'm joined by Mary Tucker, Director of Development for the YMCA of Greater Charlotte. Thanks for chatting with me today, Mary. Melanie, it's great. We're thrilled to be a part of this. Wonderful. Well, first I would like to congratulate you for receiving such a prestigious award. You successfully completed the Promises for the Future campaign in 2006 after raising $56.8 million. Please give us an overview of the campaign. Well, thanks, Melanie. We are so fortunate in Charlotte. This community is so giving and so supports the YMCA of Greater Charlotte. We have a strong tradition. In fact, we have one family. There have been four generations, and they've each served as chair of the board for four generations. So that gives you an insight into the support that we have in the community. In 2006, we began the quiet phase of our campaign called Promises for the Future with a goal of $50 million. And we did something new in Charlotte. We decided on a comprehensive campaign that would include not only capital projects, but also raising endowment, which was 
very new from the Y in Charlotte. We haven't done that before. And then including our community outreach. It really worked. Our donors were very appreciative of the fact that we gave them um, options. You just didn't have to give to one project or one type of project. You had lots of different options, whether to give to bricks and mortar or to give to endowment or to community outreach. We had some folks who gave to all three. As I mentioned, we began the quiet phase in 2006. We closed up the campaign December 31st of this year, this past year, and raised over $56 million, almost $57 million. So we are very fortunate and very blessed and very grateful and very thankful to our community. That's wonderful. And I know that you saw more than $8.9 million in gifts to the endowment. How much did that increase the endowment? <laughs> well, Melanie, we really had no endowment before, so <laughs> this was something we had not concentrated on at all. We had a couple of small endowments that had been given through the years, but we had never gone really, we had not been strategic about it. So at this point, we have been, and very thrilled about that. We do have Bank of America endowed our Starfish Academy program, which is a literacy program for rising first and second graders who are reading below grade level. Our Wachovia donated the same for one of our more fragile branches for the Humanities and Arts program. So we had great um, corporate support as well as individual support. We've had folks set up endowments for swimming lessons in our fragile areas, team program in our fragile areas. So this is new for us and something that we are, this will be continuing for us. And we're so thankful to have a system that we can keep track of all this. Uh, if we had not had Brazier's Edge at the very beginning, we could not have done this campaign. The system we had before would not have allowed us to have multiple opportunities for our donors. So that was really key in the success of our campaign. Well, that's great, Mary. And I know you also uh, received a Kresge Challenge Grant for $800,000. Can you please tell us about that? Absolutely. Um, really, the heart of our case is our Stratford Richardson branch over in, again, one of our most fragile areas. And as you well know, the cost of construction just increases, increases, increases. And we started off with a goal of 6.2 and ended up needing to raise 8.3 to build the facility. So we did go to Kresge and we were awarded an $800,000 grant, which we could not have built a building without them. But again, as we all know, it's a wonderful grant, and they require a lot of information from us and ongoing information. And there again, we could not have done it without having the systems in place to make sure that we were reporting correctly. And, you know, I felt 100% about our numbers, which is a good feeling when you're dealing with a grant of that size. For Stratford Richardson, we plan to have our grand opening by September of 07, which is very exciting. And it will be a state-of-the-art facility and a much-needed facility in the community. And one of the things that was done in Charlotte, we had a social capital study done a good many years ago by the Foundation for the Carolinas. It talked about that Charlotte was one of the most giving cities in the country, but we ranked right at the bottom for racial trust. And the folks in Charlotte looked to the Y um, for a place to enhance the trust it's really around where it can happen and we are so looking forward to Stratford Richardson being one of the flagships for bringing folks of all races all beliefs together under one roof that's great Mary it's really exciting year for you and 
I know you, you made it look very easy, but <laughs> what were some of the challenges that you faced during the campaign, and how did you overcome them? Just We've had amazing volunteers. It is a, uh, a city that, that loves the wine, supports the wine, and very active with the wine. I think at the beginning, you know, one of our concerns, again, was raising this amount of money, being able to track this amount of money, and being accountable to our donors was a real concern for us. And as I mentioned, we didn't really at the beginning have the tools in place that we were comfortable with, that we could manage all this. And I I think the biggest thing in any campaign is your volunteers have to feel like what you're giving them is good information and that they know you're being good stewards of the money that's raised. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we've done a, a great job with that. We realize that that's the backbone of any campaign. And, again, we just feel very fortunate we've had that support and that we were able to have the systems in place needed to to be successful. Wow, that's great. It sounds like you've had a really banner year. We've had a fabulous year. (laughs) Fabulous year. (laughs) Mary, if people would like to learn more about the YMCA of Greater Charlotte, where can they go for more information? Well, they can go to our website, ymcacharlotte.org. Or I would just be happy to talk with anyone. They can reach me at 704-716-6243 or on my email, mary.tucker at ymcacharlotte.org. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us today, and I wish you continued success and a wonderful conference this year. Well, thank you, Melanie, and we so appreciate our partnership with Black Dog. Y'all make the difference. Thank you, Mary. appreciate it. Well, that does it for the inaugural edition of the podcast. I'd like to thank all our guests for stopping by. Jim Bush, Paul Gibson, Melina Malonis, and of course, Mary Tucker from the YMCA of Greater Charlotte. Check back in upcoming weeks for new episodes, and thanks for listening to the podcast.